Hello everyone, it's Takuyi here. And I'm Gabby. And we are the hosts of History of Everything, a podcast which you can probably guess by the name is, well, I mean, it's about everything. Do you want to know why people thought potatoes were evil and would give you syphilis? Are you curious about all the stories of the terrible and stupid ways that people have kicked the bucket over the years? Do you want to hear tales about all of the different badasses of history and the lives that they had brought to life? Well, if so, then look no further. History of Everything is just the right podcast for you. It's available on Spotify, Pandora, and anywhere else that you get your podcast from. Join us for some fun and just see how weird and wacky history can be. If you like this podcast, can we recommend another one? It's called Big Picture Science. You can hear it wherever you get your podcasts, and its name tells part of the story. The big picture questions and the most interesting research in science. Seth and I are the hosts. Seth is a scientist. I am Molly, and I'm a science journalist. And we talk to people smarter than us, and we have fun along the way. The show is called Big Picture Science, and as Seth said, you can hear it wherever you get your podcasts. What follows may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. The world is full of stories. Stories of mysteries. Of curiosities. Of oddities. Join Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth for the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected as they lift the lid and cautiously peer inside the box of oddities. Yeah, that's how I feel. Um, the upcoming Halloween episode, I'm really excited about. And oh my gosh, you guys. Before we uh, begin this episode, just wanted to take a moment and thank everybody who took the time to submit a story. We're going to try to do two episodes, give, a, give you a bonus episode over the weekend, uh, and use as many of the stories as we can. They were all great. Can't use them all, unfortunately. But we always want your stories. Please don't think that it's just a Halloween time thing, because um, you guys have the best stories. That's just the way it is. Are you feeling a little tired, my love? You, you seem you seem a little tired. I, I'm a little tired. Yeah. Yeah. I, I took Howard on a long walk mm-hmm, this morning. Mm-hmm. I did a workout. We went shopping. And now I'm just, oh, I we, want some Chinese food in a chair. <laughs> <laughs> also, let's not forget that it wasn't too long ago that you were hitting golf balls. And I think your lower back is still feeling it. So. It is. Yes. I had more fun than you, even though I wasn't hitting golf balls. Uh, because I sat in a chair and, and had several beers. <laughs> See? Chairs. Chairs. Oh. Chairs bring so Can we much, take a minute? So so much joy. <laughs> how old are we? Where we've just acknowledged how much we love chairs. Well, you have a way to go to catch up with me because when I sit down I make noise. Mm, you know. That's true. <sighs> yeah. That's a recent development. (laughs) Anyway, because the Halloween episode is coming up and there's some scary, spooky stories in there, I thought today I would do something that uh, that's more playful and fun. Oh, yay. Yeah. Yeah. We've all heard the story of Winston Churchill at a party when he was confronted by a woman who pointed out that he was drunk, Mm -hmm. uh, to which his response was, and you, madam, are ugly, but at least I'll be sober in the morning. Or words to that effect. Or when he was with Lady Astor, and she said to him, Winston, if I were your wife, I would poison your coffee. And Churchill replied, Nancy, if I were your husband, I would drink it. Um, who doesn't love a skillful, artfully crafted insult? 
And we're going to take a look at some of those, some of the best I'm insults. Sorry. Historic burns? Yeah, historic burns. <laughs> Amazing. Sick historic burns. <laughs> One of my favorite quotes of all time uh, came from Samuel Clemens, a.k.a. Mark Twain, when he said something to the effect of, there are two types of people in this world, those who have heads that were made to put ideas in and those who have heads that were made to throw potatoes at. And <laughs> I think today, more than ever, that's never been more true. Sure. Twain was also known to uh, dish out harsh insults to fellow writers. Apparently, he wasn't a big fan of Jane Austen's work. Oh. I know that that surprises you. It does. You're going to hate this. Uh, He once said that uh, he couldn't bring himself to critique her work, uh, not because he loved it, but because he loathed it so much that he couldn't, quote, conceal my frenzy from the reader. He also said, every time I read Pride and Prejudice, I want to dig her up and beat her over the skull with her own shin bone. Well, maybe it's stop reading it. That's, <laughs> I mean, every time you read it, yeah, chill yeah. out. Well, maybe he's given it more than one chance. A more recent burn came from Roger Ebert, the movie critic. In his 1996 review of the crime comedy Mad Dog Time, starring Jeff Goldblum and Ellen Barkin, He said, quote, Mad Dog Time is the first movie I have seen that does not improve on the sight of a blank screen viewed for the same length of time. Watching it is like waiting for the bus in a city where you're not sure they have bus service. Oh, my God. (laughs) He He then suggested that Mad Dog Time should be cut into free ukulele picks for the poor. That's very creative. I, I, I love that. Truman Capote. Well known for his command of the English language and his quick, razor-sharp wit. One night he was in a bar in Key West, Florida. He's just having a few drinks with some friends, just kicking back, chilling mind in his own business. And, and soon people were starting to recognize that, hey, Truman Capote is here in this bar. A woman and her, and her husband, who were sitting at a table nearby, certainly noticed. And she came over and asked Truman for... An autograph, and he was kind enough to sign it, and she was, I guess, kind of fawning all over him a little bit, and that apparently irritated her drunken husband. Okay. A witness to the event later recalled that this drunk man staggered over to Capote's table. He unzipped his pants, and he hauled out his equipment and said, since you're autographing things, why don't you autograph this? And it was said the entire bar fell silent because everybody knew Capote was quick on his feet and they were really wondering with great anticipation how Capote would respond. Right. Without missing a beat, Capote said, quote, well, I don't know if I can autograph it, but perhaps I could initial it. (laughs) Sick burn. And rightfully so, because what... Makes you think that whipping out your junk in public is an appropriate response to jealousy. I don't know. Teddy Roosevelt was never known to be subtle. Uh, His descriptions of people that he was not a big fan of were concise yet hilarious. And he was not a big fan of Woodrow Wilson's Secretary of State William Jennings Bryan. He referred to him um, as a a professional yodeler. Oh, (laughs) Another time, he uh, he described him as a human trombone. I'm not really sure <laughs> what the meaning or the uh, the story behind that was, but I just feel that you know calling somebody a human trombone is well hilarious. It truly is. The Postmaster General John Wanamaker 
Roosevelt said uh, he was an ill-constituted creature, oily, but with bristles sticking through the oil. <laughs> it's very descriptive. Yeah, yeah. He referred to President William Howard Taft as a puzzle wit with a streak of second rate and common in him. A streak of common. Yeah. I like that. Journalists from time to time have been known to come up with a clever yet insulting turn of phrase. And back in 1936, journalist H.L. Mencken, in an article that he wrote for the American Mercury, kind of leaned into FDR a little bit. He was illustrating his belief that uh, FDR was a shameless opportunist. He said, quote, If he became convinced tomorrow that coming out for cannibalism would get him the votes that he so sorely needs, he'd begin fattening up a missionary in the White House backyard come Wednesday. Oh, my God. Snarky much? American poet and critic Dorothy Parker was not a fan of President Calvin Coolidge. In January of 1933, when Calvin Coolidge died, Parker was at a theater performance. And afterwards, she came out and the press saw her and they informed her that uh, Coolidge was dead. Her response was, how can they tell? (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Yeah. That's rough. She, She reviewed a Broadway musical at the time called Girl O' Mine for Vanity Fair. In it, she said, quote, by all means, go to Girl O' Mine if you want a couple of hours of undisturbed rest. If you don't knit, bring a book. And then when I was researching this, I came across something called Vinegar Valentines. Have you ever heard of this? I've not. These were something like Valentines that uh, weren't really, well, they were, they were sick burns in card form. And they were popular during the otherwise genteel era of the Victorian age. So I'm sorry, you like took time out of your day to write something shitty to someone and then put it in the post? Well, you didn't take time. You would buy pre-made cards. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. I just punched the microphone. That's okay. Okay. At least, at least there's that. Yeah. There was enough of a market for this bullshit that companies made them. Yes. Oh, yeah. wow. They were very popular. This was, a, this was an impolite, some would say brash custom in the Victorian era. And they are what they sound like, vinegar valentines. And they were printed, pre-printed with insults for anyone from an unwanted house guest or admirer to someone you know that was just a terrible singer. Oh, okay. Yeah. That seems terrible. Yes, but hilarious. Here's an example from one that uh, is simply entitled, You are a nerve destroyer. Oh, my God. Quote, When a pig's getting slaughtered, the noise that it makes is sweeter by far than your trills and your shakes. And the howling of cats in the backyard at night, compared with your singing's a dream of delight. Your squalls and your balls are such torture to hear, a man almost wishes he had not an ear. We need to bring back the vinegar valentines. I don't know. I, I think there's enough vinegar in the world well, today. that's true. Some would say that social media is a modern-day vinegar valentine. It certainly can be. Before we started uh, recording this, I saw a clip of uh, Zach Galifianakis between two ferns. <laughs> and he had a pretty great burn. Uh, he always does. He's interviewing Matthew McConaughey, and he starts out by saying, I notice you're wearing a shirt. Is everything all right? (laughs) (laughs) My source information, Mental Floss Wikipedia, and Live About. Is it Live About or Live About? I don't know. I don't know. It's one of those abouts. (laughs) The Box of Oddities. 
with Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth. This message is sponsored by Greenlight. You know, as your kids get older, there are some things about parenting that gets easier. I remember once hearing my sister tell my little niece, if you put your pants on, I'll give you some Fresca. And when kids can start to reason that they get something if they do something right, it's a lot easier to manage them. Having that conversation about money with your kids, that's not the easiest thing in the world. Fact is, kids won't really know how to manage their money until they're actually in charge of it. And that's where Greenlight can help. Greenlight is a debit card and money app made just for families. Parents can send money to their kids and keep an eye on the kids' spending and savings. While kids and teens build money confidence and lifelong financial literacy skills. Your kids will learn how to save, invest, and spend wisely thanks to the games that teach kids skills in a fun, accessible way. When I was a kid, I had expected chores, and then I had bonus chores. And bonus chores were where I earned money. And so if you're thinking like, hey, my kids should be doing stuff around the house. Yeah, no, you're not wrong. But maybe there's extra ways that they can learn how to be a successful financial money person. What was one of the bonus chores that you had to do? (sighs) Rub my mom's feet. And what did that pay? I don't know, like a quarter or something. Millions of parents and kids are learning about money on Greenlight. It's the easy, convenient way for parents to raise financially smart kids and families to navigate their life together. Sign up for Greenlight today and get your first month free when you go to greenlight.com slash oddities. That's greenlight.com slash oddities to try Greenlight for free. Greenlight.com slash oddities. I've got to tell you, the longer we've had our aura frame, the more I love it. I have kids, and they live about 3,000 miles away, and my daughter is expecting a child, and she has been sending me updates on her baby bump through the aura frame. And since I can't be there to experience it with her, it's the next best thing. And speaking of mothers, if you're looking for the perfect gift to celebrate your mom in your life... Aura Frames are beautiful Wi-Fi connected digital picture frames. It allows you to share and display unlimited photos. It's super easy to upload and super easy to share photos with the Aura app. And here's the thing, if you're giving Aura as a gift, you can even personalize the frame with preloaded photos and memories. We love Aura Frames and living so far away from family, thanks to Aura, it's the next best thing. It's like, it's like almost being there. And right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Box of Oddities freaks can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off, plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A-Frames.com. Use code Oddities at checkout to save. That's A-U-R-A-Frames.com and use code Oddities at checkout and you will save thanks aura frames for bringing my family a little bit closer and now that thing in the middle we've all screwed up at work one time or another but how would you like to be this guy in the early 1980s all of the original footage of america's first moon landing was permanently lost when somebody accidentally used the videotape and recorded over it There's no information on what he recorded over it, but I like to think it was an old episode of Punky Brewster. Got an email from uh, one of my favorite names ever, one of our, actually a longtime freak, Aaron Sprinkle. 
Beautiful name. Yeah. Fellow maniac. She's from Brunswick. Um, I just listened to Kat describe her ring dilemma and just wanted to commiserate and say that when I was pregnant, I swelled up really bad. I couldn't get my wedding ring off to the point where it was starting to pinch my finger and turn purple. Not good. I had to go to a jeweler and have them cut it off. After my son was born and my uh, fat, fat finger slimmed down a bit, I was able to have the jeweler resize it and repair the ring for me. I'm not saying that you're at that point, but if you are, you can always have a jeweler take care of it for you. Good luck with that, Aaron, in Brunswick, Maine. Yeah. We did take care of it, actually. Yeah, Kat bought a ring cutter on Amazon or yeah. something like that. And so we, uh, we actually cut her ring off and so now um we're officially not together anymore stop it cat was she was so sweet so emotional as as i'm cutting the ring off her finger she's weeping she's sad she thinks that somehow she has failed the marriage (laughs) and i assured her that that was absolutely true and such a dick i can't believe she destroyed this beautiful ring (laughs) No, we're going to have it uh, resized. And actually, your finger has gone down a lot. because It was actually getting puffy because of the ring. Yeah. It was like a self-perpetuating thing. Yeah, it's amazing how uh, normal my finger looks now. I mean, there's still a little dent in it. It's been like, what, three days? Yeah. And it's still dented, obviously. But uh, the rest of my finger is like a normal-looking finger, which I had forgotten what that looked like because it had gotten so irritated. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, in it down here in Florida, it's really easy to get puffy when you go out and walk around. That and, was the thing is it fit fine. And then we moved here and all of a sudden <laughs> it was like, oh, no, I'm just going to clamp down. Yep. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, we'll have to get that resized. And, Thank you, Aaron, for the suggestion. Yeah. Casey sent us an email. Hello to my commute companions. My name is Casey, she, her. I was listening to box 458 this morning on my daily ride with you guys into work. Kat read an email from a fellow freak who told us about the horrible day when she drank the last trilopod. Oh, that was so gross. It was so gross. Uh, I hope I'm saying the right word there. there. It reminded me of a story I thought I would share with you. When I was 12 years old, I had just seen the movie Jackass. Such a great movie for young children. (laughs) I was having my birthday party, and I had many girlfriends over at my house. I thought I would show off and demonstrate how cool I am. So, just like on Jackass, I took a small goldfish out of my fish tank, put him in a huge glass of water, and swallowed the fish. No. I told my friends I was going to throw it up and he would still be alive. We were all very excited about this event. (laughs) But then I couldn't do anything to make myself throw up. I tried several methods, which I will not gross you out with, but I couldn't throw up. So on my 12th birthday, I ate a goldfish. I have definitely been flying my freak flag since. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that was a crazy fad in the 50s, swallowing goldfish. Just ridiculous. It was like, you know, they used to have this thing called phone booths. Most people don't remember them. Uh But a big fad in the 50s, too. And again, I I wasn't there. I just remember 
you know, reading about it. Sure. They would try to get as many people into a phone booth as possible. If you Google and phone... And then they would eat fish in no, the phone No, no, that was a separate fad. It was oh. two different things. Oh, okay. But they were Very both popular confused. at about the same time, swallowing goldfish and phone booth packing. Yeah, that's how I got my fish, Bill Excellent and Ted Adventure. You might remember the, the giant goldfish that I had. Mm-hmm. The people that were moving out of the apartment that I was moving into when I was in my early 20s, um, had them in this disgusting little tank. And I was like, hey, what's what's going on with those fish? Because obviously I couldn't keep my mouth shut. I'm such no. an asshole. Mm. And, <laughs> and they were like, oh, I don't know. We got them at a frat party. Some guy had thrown them up. And I Oof. was like, you could just leave them. Yeah, I'll, I'll take, just, yeah. I'll take care of that. So I bought them a new tank and got them all set up. And they ended up living forever. And they got so huge. They do get big. I remember yeah. as a kid fishing in a stream behind my house. And somebody had released their goldfish into the stream. And I caught one. And it was, you know, eight, nine, ten inches long. Oh, wow. It was huge. I put him back. Thank you. Yeah, I didn't eat him yeah. or anything. I wouldn't think so. No, it was way too big to swallow. <laughs> Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. On our show, we help listeners like you make the most of your finances. I sit down with NerdWallet's team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more— We answer your real-world money questions and break down the latest personal finance news. The Nerds will give you the clarity you need by cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. We don't promote get-rich-quick schemes or hype unrealistic side hustles. Instead, we offer practical knowledge that you can apply in your everyday life. You'll learn about strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. And you'll walk away with the confidence you need to ensure that your money is always working as hard as you are. So turn to the nerds to answer your real-world money questions and get insights that can help you make the smartest financial decisions for your life. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. When Johann Rahl received the letter on Christmas Day, 1776, he put it away to read later. Maybe he thought it was a season's greeting and wanted to save it for the fireside. But what it actually was, was a warning, delivered to the Hessian colonel, letting him know that General George Washington was crossing the Delaware and would soon attack his forces. The next day, when Rawl lost the Battle of Trenton and died from two Colonial Boxing Day musket balls, the letter was found, unopened in his vest pocket. As someone with 15,000 unread emails in his inbox, I feel like there's a lesson there. Oh well, this is The Constant, a history of getting things wrong. I'm Mark Chrysler. Every episode, we look at the bad ideas, mistakes, and accidents that misshaped our world. Find us at ConstantPodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to the Box of... Oh, great. Guy dropped a cue card. Well, pick it up. Little higher, little left, little left there, 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 stop. <clears throat> this is the Box of Oddities. You have story for me, please. Yes. The province of Maryland was an English and later British colony in North America that existed from 1632 until 1776. The largest group of non-British persons in that period, in that area, were 
Rhineland Germans. They were encouraged by Maryland officials to settle on the farmlands of Western Maryland in the 1730s and 1740s. It was around this time there started to circulate rumors. Rumors of a terrible beast stalking the countryside, residing in the woods just beyond the town site. The German term for this monster was Schnellgeist. Schnellgeist translates to quick spirit. And the corruption of the German term Schnellgeist led to this thing being called the Snallygaster. Big thanks, by the way, to Alice for suggesting this. I had so much fun reading about Mr. Snallygaster. Snallygaster, I love that name. The German immigrants were said to have a terrible, morbid fear of this beast. Town folk painted red hexes on their barns to ward off the Snallygaster. And for good reason, this thing was terrifying. He's described as being half reptile, half bird, with a metallic beak lined with razor-sharp teeth. Ooh. Occasionally, the creature is said to be semi-aquatic as well, with squid-like tentacles that protrude from its face or body. None of those things that you're describing are comforting in any way. <laughs> and the thing is, he wasn't just a creature. He had siren-like qualities. The Snallygaster was more demon than animal, and he wanted blood. It was said that when he came out from the forest, he'd swoop silently from the sky to pick up and carry off its victims, farm animals or children, and then he would take them away and feast on them, draining their blood. Now, one did not see this happen, but you knew who was doing it. It was the Snallygaster. You might have a heads up as to when the Snallygaster is around, when sudden drafts move through your kitchen, knocking over lightweight household objects or scattering papers. And that's pretty much how you knew that he was nearby because so, you didn't see him. Okay, so not as much a cryptid as, like you said, a supernatural creature of sorts. Yeah, it was in the early 1900s that Snallygaster sightings really started to ramp up. Newspaper accounts throughout February and March of 1909 describe encounters with local residents and the beast described as having enormous wings, a long pointed bill, and claws like steel hooks. He was also described as making screeches like a locomotive whistle. One man in Castown, Ohio, wrote a letter to the Valley Register telling of a strange creature that flew over his area making terrible screeching noises. He described him as having two huge wings, a large horny head, and a tail that was 20 feet long. A February 1909 article claimed that a man had been seized by the winged creature, which proceeded to sink its teeth into his jugular and Ooh. drain the blood from his body before dropping it along a hillside. The story was carried predominantly in Middleton, Maryland's Valley Register, but also in other publications. The timing of the reemergence of Snally G... <laughs> is super suspicious. Snallygaster attacks typically involved people who had strayed too far from home, and the legend was kept alive during the 1800s as a way to frighten enslaved people into staying put. You don't want to go into the woods. Mm. For a time, the story was specific to Snallygasters preying upon young black children who went into the woods. And later, 
there was a huge surge in reports that coincided with prohibition. Moonshiners in the forest in the mountains of northern Maryland would co-opt the story in an effort to scare revenue agents away and keep people away from their operations in the woods. Well, that just makes good sense. That's why the creature's call was compared to a locomotive whistle. The rumor was allegedly started by moonshiners to explain the odd noises created by their stills. Oh, okay. That's actually genius. Well, you can imagine that a metal beak combined with razor sharp teeth would be a little intimidating. And Snallygaster can see what you're doing. Some accounts describe him as having one large eye, whereas others attest to him having dozens of eyes. Either way, the focus in the story is on the fact that he's always watching, and that's why uh, it was so easily co-opted for people who had ulterior motives for keeping you out of the woods. Illegal corn squeeze in manufacturing. Right. So tales of Snally G had spread far and wide, so much so that the Smithsonian Institute offered a reward for the hide of a Snallygaster. And U.S. President Theodore Roosevelt allegedly heard the legend, and he was planning on going on an African safari, but he considered calling off the African safari and going to Maryland instead to hunt down a Snallygaster. Doesn't that sound just like Teddy? It does. He opted to go to Africa, though. Yeah. There is one threat to the Snallygaster, though. Besides red X's on your barn? (laughs) Besides that. The creature has a mortal enemy who is also a giant bloodthirsty beast, the Dwyo, who supposedly lives in Middleton, Maryland. I don't know why specifically that town. It seems very weird. Like in the suburbs. Yeah, he's a member of the JCs. (laughs) He's pissed about his HOA dues. Who isn't? (laughs) The Dwayo is supposedly a massive wolf that walks on two legs like a person. And he is the only thing that the Snallygaster is afraid of. Hmm. But that is a story for another day. All right. Closes book dramatically. (laughs) It reminded me a little bit of the uh, story of the Quetzalcoatl, the Aztec uh, legend. He was a uh, allegedly a feathered serpent. They revered him as a deity, but very similar description to what you're talking about. Interesting. Mm. Also thought of the uh, Native American legend of the Thunderbird. Sure. Yeah. Very interesting stuff. I got all my information from Legends of America, Ancient Origins, Cryptids Fandom, Ranker, and Appalachian History. Now, if you're new to the Box of Oddities, uh, you're a recent member of the Freak family, and you've never heard one of the Halloween specials, we thought it might be fun to play a clip from our very first Halloween special from four years ago. And I believe this story was submitted uh, from Liz in Australia. Hi, Jethro and Kat. I have a freaky story for you. When I was around 16, my parents and I went on a holiday to Tasmania, which is a little island off the south coast. It's also where British convicts were sent to do hard labour, so there are a lot of ghosts and eerie ruins around. I think the whole place feels creepy, but anyway. We drove around the island and eventually got to a place called Stanley, where we'd all have a freaky and life-changing experience. Yay! We were staying in the Harbour Master's Cottage, a sweet little cottage perched atop a cliff looking out to sea and picture perfect. It had been the home of mm, the Harbour Master in the 1800s. 
The place was tiny and the beds were narrow. You know, it was all Victorian stuff. The double bed was just a little bit wider than a single, so Mum and I decided to bunk together in a room at the front of the house with big bay windows looking out to sea. Oh, gorgeous. We put our bags in the room and Mum pointed to one of the beds and said, Oh, you can sleep in that bed, pointing to a bed up against a wall next to a beautiful ornate mantle. Nope, I said there's no way I'm sleeping there, uh-uh. I had this feeling of repulsion, dread and fear. I couldn't explain it, but there was no way in hell I was sleeping there. She shrugged her shoulders and thought I was just being an annoying teenager, which, well, I was. She said, fine, I'll sleep there and you have the other bed, pointing to the bed of dread as it was tucked behind the door. That night, we all sat around reading and I found the guest book. I flipped through looking for famous people, (laughs) yeah, right, and saw someone had started a story about a ghost called the Grey Lady who lived in the house. There were silly pictures of people with sheets over them and funny stories. I was totally freaking out and mum and dad were telling me not to be stupid. After going to bed and sleeping for a few hours, I woke up with a start and instantly turned around to look at mum. She was sitting bolt upright in bed like there was a rod up her back and staring at a strange nothingness. Around her head was a shimmering kind of fog. Yes, I rubbed my eyes and looked twice. I asked if she was okay. No response. I thought I was just having a dream, so I went back to bed. A bit later, I was woken up by a blood-curdling scream. I jumped out of bed and ran into the hallway. I went into Dad's room to see what the hell was going on, and there was Mum, white as a sheet, hunched down behind him on the bed, shivering and crying hysterically. She was not a crier, and I don't think I'd seen her cry until then. She was hysterical. Dad was screaming too because she was digging her fingernails into his back. I was terrified and jumped up on the bed too. I didn't want to be by myself. Dad was trying to get some sense out of her, but all she said was, There! There! Pointing to the door. Something flashed past the door to the left and then flashed back past to the right. And then, what looked like a hand waved at us above the doorframe. Dad, who always poo-pooed ghosts, turned to me and said, Pack up all your stuff, we're going. He was getting freaked out too. He looked after Mum and I had to go back into that room to get all our gear. Yep, that room, by myself. While I was packing up, supersonic speed, a strange smell started to fill the air around that mantle. The longer I was there, the stronger and more pungent it became. It was so strong and I began to feel sick. Then the words, don't ask me why they popped into my head, but they did. A dead horse and rotting oranges. Uh, Yeah, I don't know. If I walked even a foot from the mantle, no smell. Just when I was close to it, it started to reek again. The smell would come back, and the longer I stayed, the stronger and more disgusting it became. When we got home, we asked Mum about the whole experience, but she refused to speak about it for years, like fully traumatised. We contacted the host and told her what happened. Oh, you met her then, she said. Ah, yeah, my mum's traumatised and we all needed fresh undies, but anyway. Her response was, not sure why she didn't like you so much. Apparently this thing had a habit of visiting people who slept in her bed and she was not happy that mum was in it. Nope, not happy at all. A few years went by and one night, after a few wines, mum decided to tell us her story. I went to bed and started to fall asleep. I was drifting off and then I felt something walking on the end of my bed, like a cat. I went to push it off and was pulled up to a fully seated position violently by something. I couldn't lie down. I was completely frozen. Then I was kind of outside my body looking down onto myself. All I saw 
was grey silvery hair coming out of my face like it was underwater, swaying, shimmering and floating. I heard words but I can't remember what they were. I do remember feeling incredibly vivid colours throughout my body. They were metallic colours that don't exist, so I can't explain them, but it was like metal in my veins. I felt trapped and then all of a sudden she released me and that's when I screamed and ran away. Ah, thanks for that mum, I'm never sleeping again. Dad worked with a guy who uh, was sort of into all these sorts of things and he relayed the story. He mentioned the smell I had come across and the friend interrupted and said, Mmm, did it smell like dead horse and rotting oranges? What the fudge? To this day, she, she still believes in ghosts and we've, we've seen lots of other little bits and pieces that I could report back on, but that's probably the one that freaked us out the most and made us all believers. So enjoy that. Have a great night's sleep. And uh, if there's a cat on the end of your bed, look out. Bye. Ooh, the grey lady of Tasmania. The fact that the silvery hair seemed to be coming out of her face mm. creeps the fuck out of me. <laughs> yep. I think my favorite part of the story was her reference to having to change their underpants. <laughs> <laughs> of course. Yeah. Underpants are just funny, even in Australia. Thanks to our most recent patrons, the most recent members of the Order of Freaks. Uh, we do appreciate your support. You can uh, join the Order of Freaks and support the podcast, too. Go to the website, theboxofoddities.com. The link is right there. And now's a good time because we're going to be doing another Zoom meeting pretty quickly. Yeah, and we're hoping to be able to touch base with you mid-transatlantic. So that would be fun. That would be, wouldn't it be cool to really be able to do it as we're traversing through the Bermuda Triangle? It's possible. I'll have to look into the schedule. <laughs> also be looking for the Halloween episodes. They will be dropping soon. Thank you so much again for your submissions. And uh, we look forward to seeing you next time. Until then, keep flying that freak flag. And fly it proudly, you beautiful freak. And so let it be known that the box of oddities belongs to you. And its fate is in your hands. Therefore, it's been requested by those to whom I report to beseech you for assistance. We ask but one thing of you. To provide a five-star rating and a positive review. True, that is two things. However, tis merely a five-star rating and a positive review. Also, subscribe to us. Okay, so three things is all we ask. Three things and three things only. Henceforth, the Box of Oddities commits to the telling of stories. Stories of the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected. We wish to offer our deeply felt gratitude and appreciation for your patronage. TheBoxOfOddities.com Copyright 2022. All rights reserved. That was my throat. Oh, that was weird. Supernatural. 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 Do you love history but hate when it's stuffy and boring? Well, look no further and join me, Katie Charlwood, your friend the neighborhood social scientist and reader of books, as I delve into unsolved historical mysteries, murders by gaslight, and of course, women who have been misrepresented through all time. On Who Did What Now, the history podcast that's not your history class. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Neil. And I'm Ken. And we are from the Triviality Podcast, a pub trivia style game show where a lack of seriousness meets a little bit of knowledge. 
Join us each week for an hour-long game of general knowledge trivia featuring special guests from around the world, plus tons of extra themed episodes. If you want to improve your trivia game, or you just want to scream at us in your car when we get easy questions wrong, then we're the show for you. Find Triviality on all your favorite podcast apps. But you know that, because you're already listening to a podcast.